Before we get going, here's the bit where I remind you that nothing we discuss during the end game should be considered as investment advice. This conversation is for informational and hopefully entertainment purposes only. So while we hope you find it both informative and entertaining, please do your own research or speak to a financial advisor before putting a dime of your money into these crazy markets. And now, on with the show. Welcome, everybody, to another edition of The Endgame. Now, it's just me here at the moment. We've had uh, we've had all kinds of technological issues this week. Uh, Mercury, I am sure, is in retrograde somewhere and laughing at the pair of us. So I'm having to record this intro again after the fact, just before we post this. Fleck is not with me. He'll be here in a moment for our conversation with our guest this week, the one and only Jim Rogers, someone that Bill's known for a couple of decades, probably. I've known Jim for a little less time, but both of us have uh, been fortunate to have a few opportunities to sit and chat with him over the years. And, you know, we agreed at the end of this that neither of us had ever really heard him quite this relaxed. And so uh, what you're about to listen to uh, is a very gentle wander around the world with uh, one of the true investment greats of his generation, the great Jim Rogers. So sit back, relax, pour yourself a cup of your favorite whatever, and enjoy this fascinating conversation. So Jim, welcome to the Endgame. Uh, we're, we're both delighted to have you here. We, we say Bill and I made this short list of people that we wanted to have this conversation with, and uh, and you were one of the first names down there. We've been very lucky to get just about everybody on our list. So we're thrilled that you can uh, you can you can join us for this. So thank you. Well, I'm delighted, Grant. I mean, I've known Bill for. <laughs> decades longer than both of us want to admit I, you know you, when you when you meet a smart guy in this business you remember him and there ain't many smart guys so i remember bill uh yeah. but it's been a long time so i'm delighted to see both i mean i certainly knew you were a smart guy well we met what three years ago two years ago uh, a bit years. more than that thing no if we first met four or five years ago now that's how quickly the time's gone by oh my gosh okay yeah. well let's 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 start okay so um the uh, sort of one of the, I think, sort of the end game questions is what happens uh, when the, the ends the monetization of the central bankers? Because anyone with any common sense knows this is not can, cannot go on forever. And so when I try to think about how this might end, I, I always think about Japan and the fact that the Ministry of sorry, the uh, Bank of Japan has bought roughly half the JGBs. Now they don't trade. And it occurs to me that they might just essentially tear them up. And um, when I think about that, I always try to think, well, if that happened, what would happen to rates in Japan? What would happen to the currency? What, 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 what message would that send other central bankers? So I was just wondering if, if the um, BOJ decided to essentially um, um, expunge the debt by exchanging it for some 100-year piece of paper at one basis point, basically expunging the debt, what would happen in the wake of that in Japan? Do you think, from a from a, a interest rate standpoint and a currency standpoint, if they tried that? Well, it's more. You have to take it another step too. What about all the people who use those bonds as assets? If you're an insurance company or a pension plan or a, anything, but this wouldn't you know, impact you, you theirs. You don't have any assets. But this wouldn't impact theirs. This would just take. This would just be the ones that the JG, uh, the BOJ already owns. And they they would go to the Ministry of Finance and say, hey, um, you don't have to actually redeem these. We'll just exchange them 
And then they will have eventually, they will essentially have wiped out half of their debt. And in that world, which and they've, they've effectively done it. I don't know why they won't take this next step. And I was wondering if they did, what would, what would finance in Japan look like in the wake of that? Well, that's a, you're, you're a genius. See, it's magic. Free money. Free money. My God, we've been looking for that for a long time. A free lunch? Not just a free lunch, free money. One, one you should head over to Tokyo as fast as you can. Ask them to pay the fare. Uh, well, Japan, as you well know, I presume you well know, it has serious, serious problems. I mean, they have, the population has been declining for 10 years, and, and uh, the debt skyrockets every day. I mean, it's, it's extraordinary. The guy goes to work every morning, runs the printing presses as fast as he can, and he said, I'll print his word, unlimited amounts of money, and he's doing it. I mean, it's, it's staggering. I will, I will tell you, uh, it sounds a little self-serving, but I've had, <laughs> it's actually a, a bit of a joke, too. I've had three number one bestsellers in Japan in the last 18 months. Now, that's a mistake. It's an accident. I assure you, don't think I'm some kind of smart guy or something. But basically, what the, what the title is something like a, a warning to Japan, because Japan is in serious, serious, serious trouble. Um, and and in, in the book, I say, listen, if you're 10 years old, you better immigrate uh, or you better learn how to use an AK-47. Because when you're 40, uh, when you're 50, the country, if it's still here, is going to have serious, serious, serious problems. Uh, so what you have just said is a reflection of that, and they may wind up doing, who knows what they may wind up doing. Uh, the Japanese are pretty creative at times, but all politicians are, because they try to save themselves. Um, you know, in, in Russia, they still, if, if you are a pensioner, you still receive your pension, your Soviet pension. It's not worth anything, right? but you still, you still receive it, and that will happen in other countries too. Um, if that happens in Japan, it's just part of the same old story that here we are, populations going down, debts going up, our, we're not competitive anymore, uh, we're less competitive, partly because of age, the aging workforce. I mean, it's, it might as well wipe everything out. It's not the first country that's wiped out everything in history. In fact, if you go back in history, every country has wiped itself out one time or another. Some have wiped themselves out three or four times. So sure, why not? The other thing that you didn't bring up, um, you know, whenever there's a problem throughout history, people, if there are any theories around that sound plausible, people try to use them. You know, Mr. Marx had this fabulous theory and, and it was ignored for a while, but then everybody said, I said, oh my God, Marxism sounds great. This is wonderful. And so many people tried it for a long, long, I mean, now we know it, it, it doesn't work, but so what? Many people tried it for a long time, but now we have something, a theory around called MMT, more money today. <laughs> and everybody wants more money today. And you just announced a way to get more money today, or another way to get more money today. And we may well try that for a while. I mean, it's obviously going to end badly when it ends, but Bill, that doesn't mean people won't try it. I mean, people have tried some absurd things throughout history and we'll see. Well, that's why I always look at Japan because I mean, they're halfway home, right? They had this egregious amount of debt to GDP 
And now they've got half of it in the hands of the BOJ who can basically just take their portion and say, ah, you don't really have to give it back to us. And I just wonder if, if they did that, would rates go up or down in Japan? Would the yen go up or down? Perhaps the answer is not knowable. I don't know. Oh, I don't think rates would go up because why? I mean, then people know they never well, have to raise rates again. I was thinking because same thing. I was thinking because it would take the the debt deflation implosion card off the table when they'd gotten rid of the uh, debt. The implied threat could be they could do it again. So I thought perhaps with the deflation card off the table, maybe rates would rise because there was no reason to own them at like two basis points or twelve basis points if you didn't believe in deflation. That was my crazy idea. Well, that is, no, that is a good a good point because, you know, if, if people realize, well, we're not going to get any interest from Japan, why, why would we invest there? Exactly. Why would, we buy, why would we buy government bonds? Because we know we're going to get, you know, they're just going to disappear. Um, interest rates might well go up, the, the risk factor, uh, if you will, and that may well mean you know, interest rates would go higher in Japan because certainly it would send a message to the rest of the world uh, not that that many foreigners buy bonds, JGBs, but still, people would say, well, wait a minute, I don't want to invest in Japan because who knows what might happen. If they can wipe out the debt to themselves, they can certainly wipe it out to foreigners. I mean, who cares yeah. about foreigners? They'll certainly wipe it out to the foreigners. Well, the Russians, the Russians have done that. That, that playbook, uh, I mean, there was an example there recently. The Russians did that in, what, 98, I guess. But, but Jim, what about the currency? Because the yen as a safe haven currency has baffled me for quite some time. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it just seems as though, to your point, and I, and I think you're absolutely right, that the, the, the problems, the bigger problems, the demographic problems, the debt problems facing that country suggest that not only is the population on borrowed time, but the currency should be on borrowed time too. And yet it's still, um, it's still a safe haven currency for many. I, I'm, I'm surprised we haven't seen a weaker yet. What are your thoughts on that? Uh, I'm surprised too. I don't own. I I don't think I own any, and maybe a few by accident. Uh, I think the main problem is was Grant. Look around the world. What else? Yeah. You're going to buy the ruble. You're going to buy the euro. You're going to buy sterling. I mean, I I own a lot of U.S. dollars, partly for that reason. The alternatives are few and far between now. Even the Swiss franc. You know, when I was a kid, the Swiss franc was the paragon of, I mean, mm -hmm. there was nothing more virtuous yeah. than the Swiss franc. Now the Swiss franc, as you probably know, is backed by Amazon and Google and Tencent. <laughs> I mean, they've just, the Swiss National Bank has gone and bought huge amounts of, of fangs. You yeah. know, when the world wakes up and says, what? When we have a bear market in finance and stocks again, and people realize, oh my God, the Swiss franc is not backed by gold, it's not backed by integrity, it's backed by Google. Uh, I'm afraid the Swiss franc will be a disaster too. So back to your question, Graham. I mean, what, what's the alternative? Yeah. Uh, and, and the yen, I, listen, I don't own the yen because I just got to tell you, the Bank of Japan cranks it up and prints as much as he can every day. But, Many people don't know that, don't think about that. And for historic reasons, they buy the yen just like they buy the dollar. I mean, the U.S. is the largest debtor nation in the history of the world. But a lot of people think the U.S. dollar is a place to be when things go wrong. That's why I own it. I know it's a disaster. But at the moment, I own a lot of it. It's the, uh, the proverbial one-eyed man in the land of the blind. Jim, you've invested in currencies your whole life. 
um, and, and you've studied history. Uh, has there been a period uh, comparable to this in the last couple hundred years when all the currencies were this bad? Were they? I mean, it's they're really no good solid choices. I mean, maybe you could make an argument for you know, a Norwegian, Norwegian Corona or something like that. But, but by and large, all the currencies are untethered. They're all playing the same game. So have we ever seen anything quite like this before, other than during a uh, war? Uh, no, you look back in history that we've, the world's had many uh, reserve currencies or medium of exchanges in history, but none of them have lasted, you know, 100, 200 years, 200. I can't imagine there have been 200 years for any of them. You know, but the Gilder, the Spanish Peseta, the British Pound, all these had their day in the sun, but they all eventually disappeared because they got, I mean, the same thing we're doing. Mm-hmm. We, the U.S., got overextended, ran up debt. The U.S. is overextended militarily, politically, financially. I mean, it's it happened. It's happened many, many times in history. And Bill, if you know one that's survived, let me know. That's you're why the I was, only one that knows it. I was asking you the question for that reason. <laughs> no, I and, and yeah, sure, we've had many periods of bad currencies. I mean, always right. there's always some politician somewhere ruining the this currency. Uh, but I don't. You know, in the 19th century, the pound was there. Gold was accepted by many countries, gold and silver. Uh, even in the 20th century, the U.S. for a long time was accepted as a, as, I mean, we, we more or less didn't have huge debts, et cetera. We had a balance of payment surplus, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. That was before 2026 when, when everything goes to hell. <laughs> So, Jim, let, let, let me let me let me ask you a question about wait, your. Wait, own. Let me just finish that one more. Sorry, oh, sorry go, go ahead. Uh, okay. The other thing too, uh, Bill, for frequently in history, people could use anything they wanted as money. Mm. Uh, you know, one time you could use seashells mm-hmm. or gold, or gold. Banks could print their own money legally. You could print your own money, and it was accepted in the in the mar- in the in the marketplace. So people could use whatever they wanted, and if they saw currencies de- deteriorating or falling apart, then they would just switch legally, and mm-hmm. there was no problem with that. And so that meant it was always something people could find to use. It was a sound currency. Now, in these days of monopoly money, where the government's control, you know, you and I cannot make a contract in gold. Now, it's illegal. Uh, we're Americans, but, but and that's true in many countries. You know, in the 1930s, the Bank of England said, okay, guys, I know you've been using seashells and sugar cubes and cattle and everything else for money, but from now on, it's an act of treason to use anything for money except our money. Well, an act of treason bill means they execute you. <laughs> so most people, most people stop using seashells and printing their own money and everything else. And, and that's when the, that central bank reverted back and said, okay, it's our money. If you don't like it, treason. So that's been one of the, that's a partly a, a brief history of money and how uh, there's always been something which people would use. But now, what are we going to do next time? Uh, the U.S. dollar, as I say, I own a lot of U.S. dollars, and I'm not sure this is where you guys wanted to go, but, but where do we go, where do we go um, when the U.S. dollar, when people give up? My plan is that the U.S. is gonna, dollar is going to get overpriced in the next turmoil. 
because people don't know what else to do. And it might even turn into a bubble, depending on how bad the turmoil is. But then, then what do I do? I mean, I have a couple of thoughts. I, I have to sell, especially if the dollar turns into a bubble. Then what? Well, Jim, I, 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 have to, I have to ask you this question at this point in time because I know there are people listening to it who are daring me not to ask it. And that, I know you're ready to say it, so go ahead. Yeah, yeah. So uh, everything you've just said there, to me, points towards something like Bitcoin. Uh, so I'd love to get your thoughts on, on Bitcoin. And I don't want to go too far down the crypto road. We've got plenty to discuss, but well, I'd be interested. I, I'm happy to go down the, that, that road. Uh, money is going to be on the computer. Nearly every country in the world right now is working on uh, crypto money. Uh, yeah. Washington, the Federal Reserve is working on crypto money. The Chinese are way ahead. If you go to China, you can't take a taxi using money. You can't buy ice cream using money. You got to have your computer money. It's, it's absurd. I mean, they're way, way ahead of everybody else, but other countries are doing that too. So it's going to be computer money, internet money, crypto money, call it what you will. But Grant, I just told you the story of what the Bank of England did in the 30s. Act of treason. Now, mm-hmm. if the central bank say, Mr. Williams, if from now on, it's an act of treason if you use Bitcoin. Maybe you will, but I won't. And a lot of people are not. I mean, governments don't want to give up their, their monopoly money. Are you kidding? Governments love the power and the control. And that's one of the things that gives them the most control. And by the way, they love computer money because it gives, they know every, they will call you up one day and say, Mr. Williams, you've been drinking too much coffee this month. <laughs> Cut back on your coffee. Cut back on your anything, baseball, whatever you've been doing too much of, they'll know. They'll know everything you do, and they love that. Now, I, I hate it, but it doesn't matter what I hate. They've got the guns. And, you know, that's why, to that point, the crypto guys say, well, we're smarter than the government. Well, Grant, of course they are. All the Bitcoin guys <laughs> are smarter than but the government's got the guns. I don't particularly like that, but the crypto guys don't have any tanks do they have. None. How many tanks does the Pentagon have? More than the crypto guys. That 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 is a serious Achilles heel. I know the the the, the proponents of the cryptocurrencies always hate it when you bring up anything that's slightly negative, but the anonymity that is perceived to exist doesn't because everything's trackable. So I mean that's a it's a it's a it's a it's a rub that you bring up that at the end of the day they're going to know everything you've done. If the currencies are on uh, are, are, are electronic like that, all electronic like that. Well, the Bitcoin guys say, no, no, it's anonymous. They'll never know. It's all secret, et cetera, et cetera. Well, I mean, hallelujah. I, I, I hope they're right for their sakes. But but then if the, if the government shuts down electricity or the, the Internet goes down, then what do you do? Mm-hmm. Um, I, I mean, I, I so far, nobody's given me an answer to that. that the only answer that I've heard is. They can't shut down the internet. Ha! <laughs> Governments can do all kind of absurd things. Yeah, well, they have they have they have, they, they have little workarounds with the with the cold storage wallets and all these kinds of things, you know. But at the end of the day, it's it's still pretty trackable. Um, and so, if the governments decide that you, they don't want you using it, as as you say, Jim, they, they can make your life they can make your life uh, pretty difficult. I would say. Um, well. Even with the workarounds, I mean, Bill, if I want to go to the grocery store, how do I buy bread? I say to the guy, now, this is all secret in here, and now, you know, you can't tell anybody, and I'm not going to tell anybody, and this is a big, big secret. Don't let them know that I'm buying bread from you. 
and here's the money. God's going to look at me and say, what? What did you say? Go well, ahead. Go pe- ahead. Pe- people say the same thing about, about gold and silver, you know, that they're not really fungible. But, you know, I suspect if you, if you, if you needed to, to, to do some bartering at, at the store, I mean, not in today's environment, but in a different environment, you could probably find a way to turn your gold or silver into uh, some sort of coin of the realm that you could use at the store. So, I mean, I, I think there, there's potentially a little more functionality, but it, it's one of the arguments against the precious metals as well from a transactional standpoint. Well, but if I go to the store and I show the guy a silver coin, you know, a, wrecking, a, a Chinese panda or a U.S. dollar coin, many people will recognize it, know right. what it is, right. and, and will accept it. Many, many, many people in the world. Now, maybe someday the Bitcoin guys are right. When I go to the store and the guy says, that, I say to him, this is a big, big secret. You can't tell anybody and you can't spend it. Uh, you know, maybe he'll say, okay, I accept it. You're right. I understand. We're all, we're all in this big secret together, all 8 billion of us. I think it's more likely he's going to say, well, I've seen U.S. dollars. I've seen silver dollars before. I've seen silver pandas before. Okay, here's your bread. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I mean, that's, that's, um, that's the big flaw to me. And, and it's a, the question I haven't had anyone give me an answer to is, is if they make it illegal. And I think the point you made there, Jim, is exactly the way I think of it, is that 96, 97, 98% of people, as soon as it's said this is illegal – they just won't do it because they don't want to break the law. And, and that's, that's the one part that I haven't had an answer to. Well, especially, Grant, if they make it something strict like an act of treason. Yeah. You, 99%, 99.5% are not yeah. going to use it then because treason means execution. Yeah, exactly. Well, look, um, Jill, let me ask you um, about your, your own personal endgame because you, you are someone um, – who, I mean, I'm, I'm not sure. I've lost track of how many years you've been in Singapore. Are you, are you, have you reached 20 years in Singapore yet? Must be. No, no, we moved here permanently in 2007. Okay, 30. Okay. Uh, you know, that, you were very vocal at the time that that was really an end game of sorts for you, that you you saw that Asia was going to be the future um, and, and you were going to take advantage of that. And, and you kind of walked the walk and talked the talk and, and actually moved out there and put your beautiful kids through school out there and they're fluent in Mandarin and... Um, so I'm curious to know how that personal endgame of yours has played out in those interim 13 years, because the, the the power dynamics in Asia are very different now to how they were. Obviously, China's changed dramatically in that time. So I'd love to kind of get an update on your thoughts about that, that Asia being the endgame of sorts. Well, the, the, the base reason was I wanted my kids to, to speak Mandarin and to know Asia because it is the future of, in their lifetime. If I hadn't yeah. had children, maybe I wouldn't have moved to Asia because then who cared uh, how I wound up. But since I had one and then two children, to me, it was extremely important that they grow up speaking Mandarin and that they know Asia. That has worked in spades, Grant. I mean, I, don't, I speak no Mandarin, so it's nothing to do with me. My little girls, I mean, believe it or not, CCTV, uh, which is the largest TV network in the world, has done three specials about my daughters because they got these blue-eyed kids who speak such astonishing mm-hmm. Mandarin. And again, it has nothing to do with me. I speak, my children say, don't speak Mandarin, you embarrass us. <laughs> if I say a word, one word. So it's worked extremely well. They know Asia. The, the downside, of course, is my, my 17-year-old says to me, oh, gosh, I, 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 you, you robbed me of my American childhood. 
Now she wants to go to university in America. I said, fine, go. You can learn about America anytime, but you cannot learn perfect fluent Mandarin anytime, and you cannot grow up knowing Asia anytime. So she's insisting on going to university, in, in the, which is fine with me. I, I could care less. Um, well, I mean, I could care, but, but no. So it's worked perfectly. And you can ask me later about the 12-year-old. They both, the, the Chinese are stunned by these girls. Nothing to do with me. Nothing to do with me. Right, but 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 just let's talk a little bit about about the the kind of change in the relationship that China has with Asia since you you moved out there because it's uh, it really is a different beast altogether. And I was reading the notes from the Fifth Plenum recently, and some of the language in there, um, you know, the Chinese are talking about military parity with the U.S. by twenty twenty seven, I think it was, um, and. You know, she is a different kind of leader. Um, uh, so I'm just curious to think of your thoughts about the, 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 the rise of China and any threats that may pose. Well, you and I both know that throughout history, uh, when you have had a dominant power who is flat or declining and another rising power, it has often led to war. I mean, I'm not the first person to figure this out, especially in times when raw materials become scarce. It has nearly always led to war, uh, shooting war, shooting war. I mean, it's absurd. Nobody's ever won any of those shooting wars in the end, but but that has usually been the way history has, has played itself out. And I sit here and I say to myself, this is totally absurd. And I say to myself, in 15 years, they're gonna, everybody's going to be telling 20-year-old kids, you got to go kill those 20-year-old kids because they're evil and, and vicious. And it's all because guys were making mistakes in 2020, 2021. And it's always led to this. And then you tell the 20-year-olds, okay, go shoot them, go shoot them. Doesn't do any good for anybody in the end. But Grant, I mean, I can sit here and say this all day long. It doesn't do any good. I know history. And the problem with history is, the main lesson of history is, nobody learns the lesson of history. Mm-hmm. You know, I can sit here and say, guys, it's very clear how this ends. They say, we're smarter than history. You go to Washington now, Mr. Trump says, who cares about history? I'm smarter than history. I don't need history. Well, maybe he's right, but very, very few people have been smarter than history. And nobody learns the lessons of history. Well, it, it seems that in terms of not learning the lessons of history, um, we, we, we may be about to embark here in America on, um, you, know, you, you called it more money today, which is a better thing than calling it what they like to call it. Um, but it seems like we're, we're, we might be about to head down a, on a path of accelerated um, um, fiscal spending uh, and, and monetization to accommodate that. Obviously, it looks like we're not going to get the super left uh, outcome because the looks like the House and Senate are going to stay close to what they were. Um, given that the Fed has told you that they're going to generate 2% inflation and they're going to let it average that, they're telling you they want it to happen. And given that bonds yield next to nothing, do you think we're, we're finally approaching the moment in time where the bond market is, 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 is going to end the 40-year bull run you know, we're going to start to see rising rates, which the Fed will fight. That that'll be start to be the end game for the for the bond market in America, and because that will have rather large ramifications for other things. Because so many people today 
uh, have never seen a period of rising rates. I don't think they could even conceive of that or even rising inflation. And it seems like we might be on the cusp of a major change. I don't know how close it is, but it seems that way to me. What do you think about that? Well, you're right. Bonds have been going up for 39 years. And and I'm not even old enough to remember when, when, when bonds made, made, you made their bottom or their top, depending on how you look. Uh, well, Fleck, that's why I got a little silver right here in my pocket. See, hey, just in case. Jim, you got a little gold I got to beat. I got a little bar. Little oh, gold, the, silver bar. The, the problem with that is you go down to the grocery store <laughs> and say to the guy, look, here it is. The guy goes, how do I know that's real? And then he's going to say, okay, Mr. Fleckenstein, I'll take it, but I can't make change. Yeah, then right. what are you going to do? <laughs> Three loaves of bread, you're going to give him a whole silver bar? <laughs> Come to my grocery store, I'll give you four loaves of bread for, for a bar of silver, even if it's fake bar of silver. Uh, yes, as I look around the world, it's very clear to me that I, the only bubble, the only complete bubble I see is bonds. Bonds nearly everywhere are in a bubble. We've never had interest rates this low in the history of the world, never in the history of the world, and it's clearly artificial, and it's, it's a bubble, whether we like it or not. And as you know, all bubbles end, and they all end badly. Doesn't mean they're not bubble, other bubbles too, but no, this is, we are, we're at the end game. Uh, you should watch the end game. You should listen to the end game, uh, because this is one that is clearly there everywhere in the world. Interest rates can go lower still, possibly bubbles, strange things happen, but this is the end. Do not, do not put your children in long-term bonds. What do you think, you, you talked there about we've, we've reaching the, um, we're reaching the end here, and, and obviously the zero bound for interest rates, one would have thought was a clear demarcation of an end game of sorts. Now that rates have gone negative in, in a, you know, five or six countries, the Swedes, very noisily kind of repudiated them and, and brought rates back to zero and, and have said in studies that it just didn't work. Um, but now we're seeing the Bank of England readying themselves uh, for negative rates. Do you, do you think that we're just at this point now where they're going to have to try this and they're going to have to force negative rates on people in order to try and prolong this a little bit further? Or do you think the market will ultimately repudiate the idea of negative rates? Well, it hasn't worked anywhere. But Grant, they don't know what else to do. Yeah. <laughs> you know, right. All they know is what they do. They're all bureaucrats and academics who don't have a clue. So, no, they'll try more. They will say, don't worry. Don't worry. We, we've got the answer. Well, you better worry, especially when the government tells you don't worry. You know you better worry. You know it's, it's, the, it's coming to the end. But they don't know what else to do. There's nothing, if you went to the Federal Reserve tomorrow and said, God, this is not going to work, they would say, too bad, this is what we're going to do, because nothing else we can do. But they're going to well, raise interest rates to 3%? Ha. Well, I think you make a good point, Jim. I, they only know how to do one thing, and, and they've demonstrated that repeatedly in the last 20 years, uh, of, of this era that I kind of call the activist central bank era, where they won't let anything, won't let markets clear and because of the problems that they've created. So now we've got, you know, it would seem that if we're near the end game of them being able to print money like mad and hold rates at zero while trying to generate inflation, something's going to give. If the bond market starts to give, they'll, 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 they'll assert yield curve control for a while and that'll buy them some time. But 
it seems to me that the most likely outcome is that they will, you know, in market terms, they will lose the bond market. And that's when that happens, which can't be a long ways away, it could be a couple of years. It seems to me that it's going to create a whole lot of pain in a whole lot of areas. Does that seem reasonable to you? Well, yeah, but if they do revert to MMT, and the British are already basically doing it, they haven't announced yeah. it, but they're practicing MMT, uh, that can prolong things for a while. I mean, it's not good for my kids, but for a while, people can say, my God, look at this. This is fun. Free money. Free money. Um, and yeah, they, they keep buying whatever they want to buy because their money keeps coming out of the trees. Just go outside and money falls out of the sky and they and they'll keep buying bonds and keep interest rates down just the longer you do it the worse it ends but why not i now i know you will tell me why not and i will tell them why not and they're gonna say go away and leave us alone <laughs> you're one of those crazy you're one of those crazy guys who believes in sound money <laughs> and a sound well economy said. well said and jim we, well said. Sound economy. We don't care about crazy guys who say sound economy. Jim, one of the, one of the outcomes of this, uh, almost no matter which way this goes, is is the is this great debate around deflation and inflation, and everybody's kind of caught up in that because it really is the one turning point that that if you can get it right after forty years of of deflationary pressure, if we are seeing a return to an inflationary environment, and some people have waxed extremely eloquently on that possibility and, and, and a lot of hardcore deflationists are starting to jump on the inflation train i know this is something that you've talked about a lot and written about um very early in the piece where do you think we are now in that in that transition period from deflation to inflation well grant as you know the world is in serious trouble right now so nobody's got any money to buy anything i mean few yeah. a lot of people don't have any money to buy anything so we have deflation I mean, if, if, if I don't have a lot of money to go down and, and buy a bottle of beer in the, in the beer hall, I'm not going to buy any beer. And that's what's happening. The price of beer goes down. And so we have no, we have very little demand pressure now on anything because the world is a disaster. Uh, you know, I, I own gold and silver. I'm not buying it right now because I know that in Asia, many people are being forced to sell their silver and gold to buy rice, to buy food, uh, you know. India is the largest gold market in the world, but the Indian economy is suffering. So a lot of people are having to sell their precious metals. So because of the state of the world economy and the mistakes that the politicians have made with the virus, we have a period when there's not much demand and therefore not much uh, inflation. History would show that that's going to change and come back. In fact, as I look around the world at asset classes, the I told you that the bubble I see, that the, the obvious bubble is the bond market in most countries. The most, the, the cheapest asset class I see in the world is commodities. Because, yeah. I mean, stocks are making all-time highs in the U.S. You know, bonds we just discussed. Uh, property in much of the world is already under, has been extremely expensive and is under pressure. So, I mean, the only cheap class, asset class I see is, is commodities. I mean, agriculture is a disaster. Sugar's down 80% from its all-time high. 80%, that's not a typo, Grant, 80%. 
Silver's down 60% from its all-time high. I mean, that's the only cheap class I see, asset class. And it seems that more people are <clears throat> recognizing that, at least from the precious metals sector. I mean, if you, ha- you, you have a position, I have a position, I assume Grant has a position, we never really discussed that. But I think a lot of people don't have any position in precious metals. And I think one of the reasons why they've behaved as well as they have in this period where there are no you know, real price pressures because of the points that you make, I think there's a lot of people that have recognized that they're going to need to have some precious metals given what looks like it's coming down the, coming down the pike. So I think uh, uh, that's one reason why the metals have done as well as they have, even though there's no apparent uh, pressure on, on inflation yet and no real currency pressures yet. Well, at least in G7 world. Um, well, but Fleck, I mean, silver's down 60%, but, but platinum's down. Platinum's cheap on a historic basis. Palladium and gold are up. But other than that, metals, precious metals, well, the other two are not up. Right, right. I mean, they, they haven't done anything silly. I mean, I mean I'm, I'm just saying you, you could have made money on them if you'd have purchased them in the last group of years, whether it's five years or 10 years. But no, your, your point survives. I mean, they haven't really done anything silly yet, that's for sure. <clears throat> and, and, and the rest of the commodity complex is, um, uh, you know, not done anything for, for at least a decade, at least a decade. I mean, some uh, longer than that. Um, but it, it, don't you think that that the um, you know, if we if we had a discussion about what was going on in the world, um, you know, when gold was had its last run, say that ended in eleven or twelve, it, it didn't seem to me that there had you had the same level of institutional interest that appears to be getting behind the metals in this go round because I think more people can see that these policies that are being advocated will lead to reasons why you need to own the metals. So doesn't it seem to you like there's a, a, a more of an inst, a, a more of a, a recognition that you need these things as, as for, from an insurance standpoint, sort of like you know, people used to think in the 50s, 60s and, and 70s, you needed to have five or 10% in metals. And then we had 30 or 40 years where no one wanted to have any of them. It seems to me that's changed a bit. Do you, do, you, do, you, do you think that's true? Well, to some extent, yes. Obviously, that's why gold is near its all-time high. But also, uh, Flex, a lot of... There are people now who are saying, well, we should put our money in cryptocurrencies um, instead of gold and silver. True. Now, I've, I've told you what my view on that is. Uh, but so some of the demand that if we didn't have cryptocurrencies right now... A lot of those people would be sure. buying precious metals, but they, they have turned to cryptocurrencies and the idea that this will save them. By the way, many cryptocurrencies have disappeared already. Yeah. There were a few thousand that are gone. Uh, so uh, you know my views, but back to that, back to your question, uh, some of that demand that would have gone into gold and silver mm-hmm. is going into For cryptocurrencies. Sure. For sure. When, when, when you... Think about possible end games. Um, one end game you and I spoke about when we when we last sat down and chatted, and that was uh, you were heading off to try and invest in North Korea. And, and when you reach the end in terms of the investment world, you, you kind of think that that's where North Korea sits at the end of that rainbow. So I'm curious as to as to how you got on with that project and 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 what the latest update is on on investing in North Korea. 
Well, it's, I qu quickly will tell you, Grant, it's illegal for Americans to invest in North Korea. It's illegal now for Americans to go to North Korea. I've been to North Korea twice, but it, it was legal then when I did that. It is no longer legal. So my, my investment uh, project in North Korea has gone nowhere. I don't want to go to jail. I'd better be rich and out of jail than, I mean, rich, I mean, poor and out of jail than rich and in jail. Uh, so I have not invested in North Korea, uh, but there's no way. Now, the North Korean story continues to develop, uh, and the, the 38th parallel is going to open in the foreseeable future, if you ask me, uh, and then the Korean Peninsula is going to be an extremely exciting place to invest, but I'm an American, so there's nothing I can do right now. And, many, and there are other countries, too. South Koreans cannot invest there. Japanese cannot invest there. Russians can, so I don't know what passport you have, but if you have the right passport, you should get on a plane to North Korea. It's, it's happening. Yeah, I mean, it, it just just on, on a on a broad perspective, what are the investment? I mean, is it is it commodity based? Is it is it industrial plant machinery based? What what are the what are the aspects that North Korea are attractive to outside investors potentially? Well, as recently as uh, 1970, North Korea was richer than South Korea. Yeah, Grant, communism and the Kims. Mr. Kim and his kids and grandkids can ruin anything. And they ruin North Korea. They totally ruin North Korea. A combination of Kim's and communism. Oh, my God. Uh, but they have huge natural resources. That's why they were so rich before. And they have a very large, disciplined, educated, cheap workforce right on the Chinese border. You put that together with South Korea, which has major manufacturing and capital ability uh, with a large population, uh, it's, it's going to be great. Then you'll have 80 million people on the Chinese border uh, with an open economy that can manufacture, raise capital, cheap labor, lots of natural resources, et cetera, et cetera. Japan is very much against it. Japan is trying to stop it because they cannot compete with an open, an open Korea, and they know it. Uh, but North Korea is for it, South Korea is for it, China's for it, Russia's for it. The main problem is the U.S. Army. If you get out a map, you'll see that the only place that the U.S. can have troops on the Chinese border and the Russian border is South Korea, South Korea. or yeah. Korea. So they don't want to leave, and that's the problem. And Trump's not strong, wasn't strong, hasn't been strong enough to overrule them, and Moon in, in South Korea hasn't been strong enough. So it's going to happen, but somebody has to deal with the American army first, uh, or it'll never happen. Well, never is a long time in history. Yeah. So that's what's going on. Uh, I, again, if, you, if you're allowed, go to North Korea and look around. So we're just a couple of assassinations away from that being, being a really nice investable market. <laughs> well, well, yeah, but again, the North, the American army is a pretty strong army. And yeah, there's 30,000 yeah. troops there, and they don't want to leave. Uh, uh, you know, Jim, a, a lot of people seem uh, have, have felt it, it doesn't seem like it's quite um, such a popular thought right now, but I remember um, in, the, in the last 15 or 20 years, there have been periods where people thought that the um, Chinese would make the renminbi con convertible. And, you know, they've made a couple of maneuvers in the last couple of years. Um, do you think that is something that's on the Chinese horizon? And what sort of a timetable would you think that they might have 
given your vantage point of being out there in Asia and, and, and watching this closely? Well, as you've just pointed out, they have been opening their economy and their financial market. It actually started in 2005. It went really very slowly. This is not 1920. This is 2020. If I were the Chinese, I'd do it this afternoon. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, last week they opened up financial markets more and more, but still, it's a blocked currency and it's not freely tradable, et cetera, et cetera. Although it is getting more and more open. Uh, yeah, it's going to happen, Bill. It's going to happen by 2015. No, 2018. <laughs> 2020. Don't worry, by 2020, it will be open. Uh, yeah, it's coming. <laughs> they're not listening to me. They're doing it on their own timetable. Whether they're right or wrong, it doesn't matter. They're going to do it their way. But once they do it, I mentioned before that when the U.S. dollar turns into a bubble, if it turns into a bubble and I have to sell, I've got a couple of possibilities. Uh, if the renminbi is convertible by then, uh, and it might be, uh, then the renminbi will be an obvious possibility of where I would put my money. But at the moment, that's it's it's a blocked currency. Well, Jim, while we're on the subject there, 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 there have been no, very few, in fact, I know of no periods in history where people tried to smuggle their money into a blocked currency. People are always <laughs> trying to get their money out of a blocked right, currency. Right. So, so I'm not trying to smuggle my money into China to get into a blocked currency. While we're on the subject of China, I'd love to get your thoughts on um, what's happened in Hong Kong in the last year. Obviously, we've seen enormous social unrest based around uh, some of the legal changes they made there, particularly the the extradition bill. Um, What's it like on the ground in Asia, particularly with you based in Singapore, which is obviously sitting there with its arms wide open looking to, to kind of scoop up a lot of the people supposedly leaving Hong Kong but wanting to stay in Asia? Well, anecdotally, there is some of that. Some people, some people leaving Hong Kong and coming to Singapore. Um, not as much as one would. If, if you read the press, there's going to be a drove, a mob. Right. Uh, yeah. From what I can see, and I'm not a good. This is anecdotal. Uh, there is some, but not huge amounts yet. Part of the reason, apparently, is because the people in Hong Kong. Are, are content. I mean, they don't see any changes in their lives, any problems. And Britain has offered amnesty or passports to a few hundred thousand people. And apparently in Hong Kong, they're saying, well, if they leave, the trouble's gone. We get rid of the troublemakers and everything is fine, fine in Hong Kong. Uh, we carry on as we were before without mobs in the streets. Now, I, I don't know. I'm just giving you anecdotal evidence so far. Uh, as you know, the Hong Kong stock market is strong. The, the currency has not collapsed. Um, as you know, Ant is trying to list in, in Hong Kong as well as Shanghai. So, it looks, from what I can see on the ground, and maybe that theory is right, that the troublemakers leave, and fine, we get on with our business. Uh, I, and I, again, back to, to Singapore, there's some, but not the mobs that uh, we would might have happened. So when you look at the U.S. stock market, <clears throat> I mean, do you have much exposure to the U.S. stock market, given all the crazy things that have gone on? Or h- how do you think about you know, you're, you know, what's going on here in our equity market? Well, 
I, I at the moment, if I were buying, and I am, I, I wouldn't be buying in the U.S. because the U.S. is near an all-time high. Mm-hmm. Now, there are some parts of the U.S. market which have not participated, and they're probably great bargains. But having said that, the Japanese market is down 45% from mm-hmm. its all-time mm-hmm. high. And the Bank of Japan says, I'm going to go to work, print money, and buy ETFs. Bill, if he's going to buy ETFs, I'm going to buy ETFs. He's got more money than I do. (laughs) Listen, the Bank of Japan, he's very clear. I'm going to buy Japanese ETFs, so I buy Japanese ETFs. The the Russian market is hated. I bought more Russian shares uh, yesterday. Yeah, yesterday. Uh, The Chinese market is down 40% from its all-time high. I bought more, I, I bought Russian, uh, sorry, Chinese wine stocks yesterday. You probably don't know there are, I hope you don't know there are <laughs> Chinese chi- wine stocks. And when Chinese wine? Out, Chinese wine yeah, stocks? See? No, I didn't know that. I didn't see, know hooray, that. hooray, 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 I'm going to buy more. Uh, you know, people aren't going to Is the to wine the any good? I, Is the wine any good? Doesn't who matter. Who cares? Who cares? <laughs> I care. <laughs> I'm buying the stocks. Uh, some of it's actually very, very good. I will tell you a story later if you want to hear it. But no, people stop going to the bars. People stop going to the restaurants. And I most see. people in the world don't know their Chinese wine stocks. Uh-huh. But someday people are going to go to the restaurants and the bars. They're already starting, in fact, again. And I hope someday smart guys like you living in cool Seattle are going to be drinking Chinese wine, and I'm going to sell my Chinese wine stocks. Jim, you can't you can't dangle a story about Chinese wine and say I'll tell you later. You got to tell us the story about Chinese wine. Well, no, I just uh, you know LVMH. Yes, yeah, Moe Hennessy. Yep. Uh, it turns out a few years ago they decided they were going to have the uh, Bruton Rothschild of China. They searched around, they found property uh, that they think is the best place. It's down in the Southwest. It's up high. It's the second highest vineyard in the world. And they spent a lot of years, the first three or four or two or three years, they threw the wine out because what didn't meet their standards. But now they are selling uh, wine, which they think will be the new Mouton Rothschild. Uh, It only... They only have capacity for 25,000 uh, cases okay. per, per year at the moment, and they can only expand to 30,000 cases. They sent 600 bottles to Singapore. That's how I know about it. Uh, and they're not going to sell it all in China because they want it to be an international mm-hmm. brand. Obviously, you don't want to just be a hot, hot Chinese brand. So that is what is happening with Chinese wine. Uh, there's a one, another wine called Grace, which is a Chinese wine, which my wife thinks is very good. It's been the wor- I own three Chinese wine stocks. That's been the worst. So back to your question, Bill. Grace wine, my wife loves. The stock I hate, <laughs> but I bought more, I bought more recently. I think, it's, I think it's a great idea, not that you need my opinion, but I, I, I mean, I think, I think it's a great idea. Well, I don't care if you buy the stocks, buy the wine. <laughs> I'd rather buy the stocks and drink the wine that I have from Burgundy. <laughs> well, I leave that to you. Uh, funny. Oh, by the way, by the way, one of my the first Chinese wine stock I ever bought was was uh, it was uh, some Frenchman uh, 120, 130 years ago went to China, Shandong province, and said we're going to start a, a winery, and it's now the sixth largest winery in the world. And you never what, heard of it. What's the name of it? 
Changyi, C-H-A-N-G-Y-I. It sounds remarkably close to a Singapore prison to me, Jim. <laughs> it is. It's very, it's very close to the same name and the same name as the airport. Yeah. But it is the sixth largest. It is a shock. It's the sixth largest vineyard in the world. Uh, wow, that's interesting. Well, um, I'm going to flip ahead. the equation upside down. Are you short anything anywhere? No, I'm uh, not shorting anything because it's a very good chance that this is going to wind up in a, a blow-off. You know, I don't know how the elections are going to come out, but either way, you know, frequently in history after you have a long period of more rising markets and lots of free money and apparently more free money coming, you, you have a blow-off. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I have shorted <laughs> bubbles in my life uh, successfully in the end always but oh my god it's not any fun being short a bubble especially no. in the early no. early stages no. the early no. stages of a bubble so no I'm I've I'm been there and done that to, too not much fun yeah, I know I know you have I know you have <laughs> It's a young what man's you game. Need, That's what you up. need in a market like that is a 26-year-old. Because <laughs> the 26-year-olds think that they're smart and they think this is this is normal. This is normal. The old hire, getting rich. The old hire the kid. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I'm very smart. I'm making all this money because I'm smart. Well, the last thing you want when the bubble ends is a 26-year-old. <laughs> but, but, but in the early days, you want to find as many six-year-old, 26-year-olds as you can. Yeah, I mean, I, I that's I mean, I, I don't think I don't know about the rest of the world, but I talking about America, I, I think it's virtu- it's impossible to try to be short, especially because, you know, across the broad spectrum of securities, fundamentals don't matter anymore, because when you look at the amount of the the um, that of the the index funds, how much of the money they put in every day, and then you look at the size of the option market and the speculation that goes on. <clears throat> I mean, you might be exactly right about stock. You know, I could we could pick bunches of names we could talk about and think, well, gee, they really shouldn't be where they are. But you can't make that bet in today in in, in this day and age. I, I don't know how come people uh, keep trying. It seems to me nearly impossible. Well, especially with as you pointed out before, the central banks are just going to mm-hmm. print and print and print, and and while that's happening, money's got to go somewhere. I hope some of it goes into my Chinese wine stocks. But it's well, more it, it will to now after you've told her. It will now after you've told everybody you own them. They're going to be a beat a path to those stocks. No, no, I'm sure. I'm sure everybody's going to dump them. They'll start shorting. So that guy, what's he? What does he know? <laughs> Chinese Jim, wine stocks. He is yeah. crazy. Jim, I think I think just about the only place we haven't touched on um, is Europe. So I'm curious to to get your thoughts on. On Europe, because they're now in an endgame of their own. Obviously, Madame Lagarde is threatening not only uh, much more negative rates, but uh, she seems to be out in the vanguard of this whole move to central bank digital currencies too. And, and with good reason, I think she's going to need one of those before too long. What, what are your thoughts on Europe? Because it's been this kind of fragile construction for such a long time now, but it's it's hung in there somehow. Are we near any kind of endgame in Europe, or do you think that just drags on for a while as well? Uh, well, when you say Europe, I presume you mean the UK as well. Uh, the UK has staggering debts now, and there is, it's like Japan or the US. It's yeah. just incomprehensible how much higher the debts are going, and they're going, and they're doing it, and they're printing money, and they've started MMT quietly without announcing it. Uh, so I, I, yeah, maybe English stocks will go higher, but on 
it's artificial and that is not it's not as so artificial in other parts of europe but we discussed switzerland before uh other european countries seem a little less unsound i don't want to say sound less unsound but i don't see any huge values anywhere uh in europe there may be it may just be because i'm lazy and haven't done enough homework i'm sure if you bought european airlines or or hotel chains or restaurants or tour anything to do with travel and tourism you might be okay but i i am not yeah it's an accurate statement i'm buying russia japan china uh and it's probably laziness I'm sure there are things to buy in, in Europe. I just don't know them. In fact, maybe I should buy some Lufthansa today. But, Jim, when you talk about Russia, are you looking at, because a lot of people have, I've been speaking to are looking at the banks in Russia, which seem extraordinarily cheap, and some of the resource stocks there, um, particularly, is that what you're looking at, or are there other pockets of that market? I mean, I know the whole market is crazy cheap, but, but I'm just interested in where you're looking. Well, uh, I actually, what I bought yesterday was a Russian shipping company. Uh, the, the bank, the banks everywhere in the world are very cheap, Grant. Yeah. Uh, and I, I, in my view, they're going to all disappear because, you know, you look out the window and you'll see a bank on every corner. But if yeah. you look, if you also look out the window, you'll see 18 year olds in a garage somewhere coming up with fintech, fintech, fintech mm -hmm. as fast as they can. And I always know my kids will probably know to never go to a bank when they're when they're adults. Um, I don't know what's going to happen to all these uh, banks, these branches that are sitting. I guess they'll be old age homes. Who knows? I don't know what's going to happen to them in in the end. In fact, if you can come up with a, a way to buy up all the empty bank branches. Well, we can start an REIT or something and we'll, we'll get rich, but I don't know what's going to happen to them. So my answer to you is, yeah, banks are cheap. A, I don't know the balance sheets. I cannot decipher the balance sheets well yeah. enough to, to make a decision. And B, I am basically not optimistic about the fundamentals because of what's happening with tech. Blockchain is going to put a lot the back offices out of business. Yeah. Blockchain is going to put a lot of people out of business. I mean, Electricity put a lot of people out of business too. <laughs> We're not going to get rid of electricity. I mean, blockchain, while it's going to ruin a lot of people, it's going to make a lot of other people. So anyway, the answer to your question is I'm not buying banks, but that's maybe laziness. In Russia, oh, and also in Russia. Uh, well, I told you shipping, I own shares of the stock exchange. Aeroflot, I own Aeroflot. Uh, people, nobody went to Russia, travel stopped. Um, I own a, a chain, a restaurant chain, because of Russian tourism. There's never been Russian tourism. Uh, I suspect it will. It's coming from a, from zero, so it's not going to get worse. Uh, what else do I own? Oh, oh, I'm a director of a of a, of a large fertilizer company, um, and I'm a I'm a director of an agriculture company, a farm company too. You know, um, every day. Every day, Russian farmers wake up and say, thank you, Mr. Trump. Thank you, Mr. Trump. Thank you, Mr. Trump. Because he put sanctions on Russia. And so Russian agriculture is booming. Has to. Right. <laughs> there are always unintended consequences <laughs> of everything, especially sanctions. Some people suffer for a while, but then there are other people who make out like bandits. So I own Russian. It's, it's a large, It's an international. I mean, it happens to be a Russian company. Yeah, trades in London and in Moscow. But uh, I own. I mean, and I'm a director of the Russian fertilizer company. 
Wow, we've made it all the way around the world. We did. How about <laughs> we, that? More or less, more or less. We haven't, we haven't gotten to Zimbabwe yet. But I and I did buy a few shares in Zimbabwe recently. I mean, not enough to even mention. But as you talk about a catastrophe, oh, and I'll tell you a great catastrophe for both of you guys. Although there's nothing I can. None, none of us. Can. I went to uh, to Venezuela not long ago because you talk about a catastrophe. It's a total yeah. catastrophe. Mm-hmm. But now it's illegal for Americans. To, you know, we're citizens of the land of the free. We're not so free. I'm afraid uh, it's illegal for me to buy shares in Venezuela. Although I would love to. Uh, really, I, I I, I'm curious, Jim. Uh, I mean, I know we know, everyone knows extraordinarily depressed but what's the catalyst that would get you to want to do that you think it's so bad it's going to have to get better or or, i mean i I met i'm just curious as to your logic for why venezuela well it's a catastrophe uh, and and i i i'm always attracted to catastrophes uh and historically uh if you buy a catastrophe Usually, five or six years later, you're going to be in great shape. Um, now, you need a, obviously there needs to be a, a catalyst. It's irrelevant to me right now whether there's a catalyst coming or not because it's illegal. Again, I don't want to go to be jailed and rich. I don't want to be rich in jail. Uh, but if you're not an American or if you're not subject to sanctions, you might think about you might think about Venezuela because Venezuela. It's been there a long time, and it's. Not, I don't think it's going to disappear. I mean, if you buy a catastrophe which disappears, of course, you made a mistake, uh, or unless but, something changes. On the other hand, Argentina is also a catastrophe, and it just keeps going from one basket case to the next basket case to the next basket case. So, Look, I, I didn't suggest you go to Argentina. No, no, I, know I, know. The, I was I know just, the history I, of Argentina. <laughs> I mean, it's astonishing. It's amazing how they do it. Yeah. Well, I think they've defaulted, remarkable. what, seven times in the last few decades? Yeah. What, what's staggering to me is people keep buying it. Yeah. You know, I'm not buying Argentina. I know the story. I, I've, I've been there, but I've been to that rodeo. I've seen that rodeo. Uh, you know, but maybe you go to Argentina and when Venezuela is legal, I'll buy Venezuela. Okay. <laughs> no, no. I, Jim, I, Jim, let, me, let, me, let, me, let me ask you one more question um, before we wrap up. I've just looked at the time. Um, just from a mental perspective, uh, every time I speak to you, I'm, I'm struck by how simple you make a lot of this sound in terms of you look at a catastrophe and five or six years later, invariably, as long as a catalyst, you're going to be doing okay. And, and history, again, proves that you're absolutely right. But so few people have the ability to withstand those five or six years. How do you, how do you mentally get yourself in that frame of mind where you can look at that longer term and you can invest for five or six years down the track and then, and then not get caught up in the, the enormous amount of noise and volatility that tends to happen between one and the other. Well, one is I'm not, so, not as smart as you, not as smart as those <laughs> people that you, that you were talking about. And second, I, I don't pay attention. I usually start small. And I remember once I was investing somewhere and uh, – I think it was in one of the African countries, and the the broker said to me, well, shall I send you a a report every day? And I said, no, 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 never send me any prices. I don't want to know, because if they go up, I might sell. And if they go go down, I might panic and sell. I don't want to know. 
I'm making a basic fundamental long-term judgment here that I expect that in a few years, this is going to make a lot of money. So don't send me the prices. And then periodically, if I get around to it, I look and sometimes I would add to my positions and, and build the positions that way. But no, no, I, I, in dealing with things like that, at least my story, historically, if not, not in the early days, of course, but, but now is just don't pay attention. I mean, I, I told you about a, a couple of Russian stocks I own. I have no idea what the price. I couldn't tell you the price of Aeroflot today and don't want to know. Yeah. Please don't tell me. Please don't tell me the price of Aeroflot. If if I knew, I'd still keep a secret from you, but I don't know, unfortunately. Hooray! I don't know hooray! Got in years. Well, Jim, look, it's it's been it's been a fantastic uh, hour and fifteen odd minutes there. Um, thank you so much for for taking this time so early in the morning. I'm I'm glad we got that coffee for you and, and got you all <laughs> amped up on caffeine. Well, thank you. It's it's terrific to see. I haven't seen you, Grant, in a long, but but Fleck, I haven't seen in. God knows how many. I think years. it was like in '08. We were both in uh, New Orleans at a conference. I think that was the last time I saw you. And then, then right after that was when you moved to Asia, or right around, or maybe it was right. '07, somewhere around in there. It was just before you left for Asia, I think. Right. Well, because I live in Asia, I don't see uh, as many people in the U.S. as before. Uh, I do come to the U.S. Uh, for for whatever. I'm, a, I'm on some boards and things like that and my family. But no, I don't come to uh, the U.S. like I used to, obviously, when I lived there. And uh, I don't travel. Around. Although, I will tell you. I will tell you, I'll give you the long version to bore you. I was at my college reunion a year or two ago, and, and they asked me to talk about, oh, my God, we've got this crazy guy who's been around the world. They called it, uh, uh, not Indiana Jones, but um, who's the guy who went around? The world? Phileas Fogg. Phileas Fogg, yeah. Our class is Phileas Fogg. They wanted me to talk about going around the world. So I gave a story about going around the world twice, which I've done once on a motorcycle, once in a car. And, they, and one guy raised his hand and said, well, Jim, what's your next adventure? And I, a little embarrassed, said, well, my family and I are going to drive from the Atlantic to the Pacific across America this summer. And said, so that's not much. Of it. And he raised his hand and said, to us, that's a big adventure, <laughs> you know, all yeah. us old guys who went to college with you. Uh, so we drove across the U.S., my, my daughters, uh, and my, my teenage, the 16-year-old, she was 16 then, organized the whole thing. She said, I'm American. I don't know anything about America. I want to do it. So I said, okay, do it. You organize it. We'll do it. And at one point, she said to me, and what I want, and one of the things we need to do is we need to see a Texas oil tycoon. I said, oh, that sounds great. Texas oil tycoon. I wonder if there are any left. And then I remembered T. Boone Pickens. So I got, I got in touch at T. Boone. And we went to see T. Boone. He was, we thought we'd be there 10 minutes. We were there two hours. We'd still be there. Uh, well, T. Boone didn't die. Yeah, died yeah. five a few months later. Uh, but it was fabulous. Sitting there with T. Boone Pickens. He'd been married five times, giving away hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars. What a, what a guy. What a life. What a story. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, to, again, to talk too long, at one point, my, she was 10 at the point. T. Boone was telling the story. And uh, my daughter, my 10-year-old, raised her hand and said, wait, excuse me, Mr. Pickens. Is that arbitrage? We all, we all nearly fell off the house. Even me, she's my daughter. 
We're stunned. <laughs> poor dear, poor T. Boone. Here's this blue-eyed, blonde, 10-year-old girl saying, isn't that arbitrage? <laughs> so it was a good trip. It was yeah. a very good trip uh, to drive from the Atlantic to the Pacific. And if you haven't done it, I urge you to do it. Well, that, that is an apple that definitely did not fall very far from the yeah, tree. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> well, and I hope you can find T. Boone Pickens and bite me too if you can somehow see T. Boone Pickens again. That's worth it. All right, Jim. Thank you so much for your time. Uh, I, Bill and I appreciate it, and I know the listeners will. So uh, we'll, yeah, Jim, we'll bid you really great adieu. To, really great to see you again, and uh, we'll have to do this again before uh, well, we get too be much older. Fabulous fun. That would be fabulous fun. Let's do it again when the world comes to an end. You know, <laughs> every, every time the world comes to an end in the next few years. There you go. There we go. <laughs> this is a recurring program, I can see. Well, <laughs> uh, that'll be our next series, The New Beginning. We'll, we'll get to that eventually. <laughs> Well, we got to get all in for you know. That's the end game. It doesn't be more than one end game. God, we haven't even finished with Japan's end game yet. Much yeah. less the U.S. Much less the U.K. You've got an endless, endless number of end games yeah, coming. We sure up. do. We sure do. Yes, we okay, do. Okay, guys. All right, great time. Jim. Thanks Take a lot. Thanks see so much. Again. Bye bye. Thank you. Bye. Come come see me in Singapore. We might do Thank that. You. Done. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye bye. Well, I hope uh, everybody enjoyed that as much as Fleck and I did. As I said, after a lot of the mind-bending conversations we've had um, with the likes of Mike Green and Chris Cole in recent weeks, uh, it was a, a real pleasure to have a slightly less taxing um, hour, but uh, nonetheless, it was every bit as insightful. And as always with Jim, some really interesting things to think about. So hopefully you enjoyed that as much as Fleck and I did. Um, he will be back with me next time, uh, whatever that may be. All that remains is to thank you for listening. To remind you that you can follow us on Twitter, you'll find me at TTMYGH, and you'll find Fleck at FleckCap. Uh, please take a moment, if you wouldn't mind, to rate and review the podcast. It, uh, it really does help if you can just uh, click, um, leave us a... Leave us a quick review and uh, click on as many stars as you think you can handle. Every little bit helps. Thank you so much. And we'll see you next time on the next edition of The Endgame. I, I still can't believe I can't get anyone to follow the thought process of getting to the Japan Endgame. Because he had the same reaction that every other guest has had. That they think that, that the JGBs will cease to exist. And yeah. as opposed to no... They're just going to expunge half the debt, half the debt's left over. They're doing a do-over, but nobody seems I'm, to get I'm that gonna, point. Nobody seems I'm, to get I'm that gonna, point. I've still got buddies in Japan from my time there 30 years ago. I'm going to speak to them and ask them to give me the name of the guy we should ask that question to in Japan. Because doesn't it seem like that they are the, they're the furthest along in this experiment? No, no, absolutely, absolutely. And yet, and, it's, and, it's, it's the, quite clear to me, no one's given this any serious, no one we've spoken to thus far has given it the level of thought that even I have, because I can't well, get the, the, the question answered. Yeah, I mean, the problem, as I see it, is that if you, if you take the problem, right, okay, here's what's going to happen, what's the outcome? There are two wildly different outcomes at, at either end of the spectrum, but there is the same number of dots you can take from the start to each of those outcomes, right? It's, well, it could go this way, one, two, three steps, massive inflation, currency collapse, one, two, three steps in this direction, you know, uh, 
deflation. No, but the, yields you, go down. You can't really get to deflation because they've they've just they they took their debt to GDP from what four hundred percent to two hundred percent. I mean, they got the bonds. They won that but, round. But, no, I agree. But but what's the mindset in Japan? That, the, the, that, the big that, problem they've got is that big deflationary mindset. Right, People but, don't but, but, spend money. But, but but now all of a sudden, they, if 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 you if you were worried about deflation because you had too much debt, and then you didn't have too much debt anymore, right, right. how would you worry about deflation? As long as you can get the Japanese to go and borrow, which which I mean, I'm guessing ultimately you could, but. The, the the problem is, you, if you're Japanese, you haven't been able to inflate your debt away like everybody else. No, can. but but they, they don't need to inflate it away. They bought it. No, no, no. I'm I'm talking about the new debt because presumably once you get there, you then start lending again. You build up the debt again. The, the whole idea right. of expunging it is so you can create it again. Right, right. <laughs> That's right. the whole right. point right. of right. doing right. it. That's right. That's why I keep asking people, what will it look like on the other side of that? Because yeah, it seems like that's kind of where we're going. And anyway, yeah, it just it just. Well, I, I'll I'll ask some of my buddies in Japan who we should speak to. to okay, get. okay. Nothing we discussed during the end game should be considered as investment advice. This conversation is for informational and hopefully entertainment purposes only. So while we hope you find it both informative and entertaining, please do your own research or speak to a financial advisor before putting a dime of your money into these crazy markets.